Hello, and welcome back to the Take Note Podcast. Uh, I'm here with my co-host, Taylor Reese King. I'm Adrian Good morning. Fry, and we are here today with Justin Bernados. Well, hello, everyone. Yeah, Thank tell you. us about yourself. So, I'm Justin Bernados. I'm the principal horn player at BSU for their Symphonic Wind Ensemble and Symphony Orchestra. I also serve as drum major for the Blue Thunder Marching Band in the 2020 fall season. Nice. Awesome, man. So, uh, is there any news on what's going to happen next uh, next year, like 2021 spring, the next semester for Blue Thunder? No plans yet. We're just still waiting for the university to let us know what plans are for spring sports in terms of what they want to have happen, how many people mm-hmm. they want to have there. So, we're just still waiting confirmation on all those details. Yeah, right, and the pep bands might even be even smaller um, or, just to cope with the spread of the virus and everything. Or if they are uh, the same size, they have to be spread out, which means you have to have three drum majors, three drum majors at the uh, performances, so everyone can see. So I mean, we yeah. had we had two uh, at the last game night at the at the game, yeah. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah, one you of had two hundred people, two hundred twenty people. Yeah, it, it worked out pretty well. Oh, that's good. Yeah, how the many, band showed up. I don't know if the football team did, but... Oh, I mean, snap. Hey, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm just kidding. Because any one of them can uh, beat me up. Anyway. Oh. Like, they, like, yeah. Yeah, I, I can't trash talk them. I, if, if if they hear this, they'll be like, "What? who are those people? Excuse like, who's me? that punk? Who's that punk that said we didn't show up? <laughs> yeah, we're just band nerds. And they're just <laughs> yeah, like, they're even going to see this. But anyway. Yeah. So, Justin... Anyway, on the podcast. Yeah, it brings uh, you here. You guys asked me to do it. Well, oh. besides that, I forgot why. <laughs> Why'd you accept? Well, I thought it was a good timing because Taylor and I just finished working on a project called Fleeting Moments, of which he wrote mm-hmm. the piece. And then he approached me asking if I would uh, record it for him. And I thought it was cool to do a nice little recording project, something to actually get me performing something since. You know, I think we all feel that performance opportunities has been pretty limited this fall. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. 100%. And each week for uh, all music majors, we do concert class uh, on Thursday at 12 p.m. 12, yeah, 12 p.m., not 12 a.m. <laughs> 12 p.m. noon. Um, just for basically anyone who wants to submit a video of them performing something performs. And it's a really great opportunity for all of the people in the music department Oh yeah, to, showcase themselves. Yeah, show what they're doing. Yeah, and it's great, great work. Um, there's some really cool stuff happening. Um, sometimes they also do announcements and stuff. But um, anyway, our only listeners are people who know about that, so that was kind of useless. Um, but Justin, tell us how this horn solo got started. So it was kind of <laughs> as a joke about a year ago when the. Uh, Blue Thunder Marching Band went to Vegas for the first time to play UNLV, and we were all hanging out in the stands, having a good time, and then Taylor was asking me to do one of a little dumb little cheer <laughs> that some people like to start. I'm not a, never a fan of starting these cheers, but then he asked me to start it, so I told him, well, I'll do it if you write me a whole horn concerto. And <laughs> not expecting a yes, he looked at me and he's like, absolutely. I'm just like, well... And then, <laughs> over the next about six or so months, he kept asking me about little ideas here and there, showed me little script, little 
Mark uh, rough drafts of what he had written. Mm-hmm. And then a few months later, he approached me with the the finished product, essentially. And then just a few months ago, you know, we kept editing it, kept looking at it. And then told me about how the composition studio was going to have their own little concert class performances. And I had not had the time to look at the piece. So <laughs> I had to put it together in just about five days. But it was a cool thing to be able to do, especially since it's my first time trying to record with these different software and all that, trying to get a decent mm-hmm. setup going. So it was a cool experience for me. And I think it was a lot, I had a lot of fun doing it. But we'll see how the very rough... Dr- uh, recordings I sent him and how he was able to turn that into something pretty usable. Yeah. Very uh, nice. Was that your first cool. time premiering a piece? Yeah, absolutely. It was nice. It was cool. I'm glad I was, it was this one. It was well-written, a lot of fun to play. Thank you. I really appreciate those kind words. Um, took me a long time. But um, before before we get uh, into the material, Justin, could you do that cheer right no. now? Just describe no. what that cheer yeah, I'm, was. Yeah, I'm curious. Please. So the odd thing <laughs> is the cheer is a joke relating to a show the the marching band had performed prior to on my arrival, mm-hmm. and one of their pieces had a line to go like da 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 of the word duts, as in that little B. segment. B. B. Give me a B. Oh, is it Give D? me a B. B. Give me a B. B. Give me another B. B. What does that spell? <laughs> yeah, the funniest thing is I did it wrong, and then the band like the band was split, so that was hilarious. Oh, yeah, it was wonderful. I had, Maybe I should have uh, written the horn solo incorrectly. Just had it all above the staff. Yeah. Um that would have been wonderful. Did you throw, did you throw in the, the Angels in the Architecture like motif anywhere in the piece? Um, that would have been illegal. Um, that, well, I mean, illegal. not necessarily. Yeah. Because you can use you can use like little snippets like that. I don't think you can. I don't think you can. I mean, that would be an obvious reference to that. And Frank DeKelly is pretty adamant about his own copyright licenses. So... I uh, yeah, Manhattan Beach music would get on me if I ever published that. Yeah, better to be safe, I guess. All right. So you want to tell us a little bit about the piece, Taylor? Yeah. So um, I'm gonna find the PDF because I should have it up. That'd be a good thing. And I'm gonna read to you what the um, program notes says. Um, here it is. So, it is my belief music is a collection of moments all put together to create one living and breathing entity. When performed, each moment only happens once and never again, but each one contributes to, a ch- uh, contributes to another. To me, this is analogous to who we as people are. Every single person has millions and millions of moments that they are made of and which came and went in the blink of an eye. We have a way of looking back on those memories with photographs and a way of looking back on these moments with photographs and memories, but these moments will never happen again. Each person contributes to the people's moments around them. So let's make the best of them. Be the best who you can be. Nice. 
So I, um, when writing this, I it was really, I, I had just listened to the Mislanka Bassoon Concerto, and that's pretty obvious because there's a dee da dee da dee da dee da dee da in the piano, and I was like, that sounds really cool, and so I kind of transcribed it, wrote it down, edited it, um, for, excuse me, for um, just something that I liked, and I kind of turned that into an effect um, behind the horn, and the um, if if you analyze the piece, um, if you look through the melodies, um, you'll notice that it has a small statement, maybe like one measure or two measures, and then it takes a little bit of rest, and then another statement, one measure or two measures, and then again it takes a little bit of a rest, a little bit of a break, and so that um, was completely intentional. I didn't want to have a long line of horn the whole time one because i didn't want to kill his chops but two um that to me is analogous to the moments this is one moment and you take a time and you breathe and you move on right and that that's just kind of the whole idea of the piece it was very minimal um and so the the point like it was very minimalistic so the point was more about the flowing idea rather than harmonic changes or anything like that right okay were there Um, any like drastic uh changes in like tone color or anything yes there is one really big one um where is it at measure i'm scrolling through at measure 70 so it's actually kind of cool i'm using a similar chord progression to what i used in acceptance um thing i'm going from the three to the four but um and then in acceptance i have a huge harmonic shift um and this one i use the same uh harmonic shift but i i use it slightly differently i edit it slightly uh so it's a little bit different and it goes through this big fully diminished chord um and then there's a horn cadenza um way down low in the like nice. just as like as low as you can get it's like bomb 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 it's really cool um are we gonna listen to it at all? Or? Yes, we will. But I'm okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk a little bit about it. Um and then it gets really aggressive and um it starts amping up and going faster, goes into six eight, taking similar motifs. There's this big uh diminished lick. Justin, could you talk about that? <laughs> so let's start from the beginning. Taylor showed me a draft of this specific couple oh, yeah. bars many months ago, back maybe in Early January or February. This was on. This was on the bus ride to LN, uh, UNLV the second time, right? Right. I think that was right. then. Yeah, and you were part of the pet band. You, went you asked times. me like, "Is this type of thing possible?" And I was like, "Well, it sounds like it's possible." You know, you just sung it for me, and then you showed me the music, and I hadn't realized what notes you had written. I'm just saying, looking there, like, okay, that's a lot of sixteen notes. They're very fast. Lots of note uh, sex tuplets. I'm like, okay, that might not be possible, but then. <laughs> When I actually got the music and I started working it, I'm like, okay, this is pretty doable. Just a lot of third finger action. And if you don't know, the third finger is very slow. But what what I liked about it is that it was possible. And it, because of that, it sounded cool. But it just required a lot of practice on my own part to oh, make yeah. it actually happen. And you nailed it, dude. Like, I, I recently listened to it again. And just that, just that one lick. And no inconsistencies. It was, like, flawless. Um, so very well done on that. Um, I appreciate that my um, that that 
what I wrote didn't interfere with that. It, it was it was it was certainly concerning. Like, oh, is this possible? I don't know. It sounds really cool, but um, yeah. So anyway, we have that cool diminished lake at Metro seventy five for those people who can see the score or future wants to see the score. Um, and then like the meter starts changing and gets a little bit uh, confusing. Um, and it just gets goes up into this big glorious section, um, bringing back motifs, bringing back ideas, um, and really, it's it's just about um, being a good person, right? And contributing to um, other people, contributing to other people's moments wholesomely, um, and taking the time to breathe in between and realize, you know, just that you aren't the only person in the universe, right? And that's right. not directed you three. That I mean, you two. I was thinking at you that's three. Craig, Craig is one of the three. Yeah, no. That's just generally speaking. Yeah, we um, we we need to realize that we are among friends. We are among people, among mm-hmm. us, and so we. <laughs> We need to we need to, you know, be respectful, be kind, be the best who we can be. So yeah, I'm gonna share it costs the zero dollars to be a decent person. Yeah. And that's costs nothing to be a decent person. Yeah, it's why people like that give service orders. Why? It's like why it costs zero dollars to just be kind. Like you don't even have to tip, just don't be like a- Yeah. I wholeheartedly agree with that. I've never been in um what is it called? Like I've service. Never, yeah. Yeah, I've never never been there, but it's awful. But anyway, I'm not about let's, I'm not about to open that can of worms. Yeah, let's 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 not go there. Um, let's see. I'm trying to find the score. I don't know why it's not where I thought it was going to be. Okay, fleeting moments. Draft four. So we're gonna first analyze the piece and talk about kind of. Justin, what you thought of it after we, uh, um, not not just like what you thought of it, but like um, what there is to take away from it um, musically, and then we'll we'll dive into the recording project. I did also have a question. Yeah, what's up? Um, were there any revisions made uh, when you handed the part to Justin? Yes, there was one revision. Um, it. Hold on. There it is. There was one revision. Stop playing thank you there was one revision oh <laughs> audacity caught that okay um there was one re- yeah one revision i didn't like um as it was leading into that big diminished thing it just was really repetitive and so i kind of changed the piano part um and i was thinking of changing the horn part there like one note moving it down or moving it well i mean those are the only two options down or up so right right um but I I didn't change the horn part, so I didn't have to give him another another thing. So nice, nice. yeah. I just changed it from like da 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 into like a, a not an ostinato a hemiola type figure da 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 and like cool offbeats, and it just made it more interesting, you know. So let's let's watch. Thank you. 
Well done. Holy shit. That was great. Yeah. Um, my, okay. If, if we deleted everything except for that last measure, I would still be happy. Like Justin, the way you phrased, I didn't tell you to phrase it that way. Um, and I knew like, I really wanted it to be phrased exactly the way you phrased it when I first wrote it. I was like, oh, this this has to go. And I was singing that over and over and over to myself. And I gave it to you, and I completely spaced. Like, oh, God, I'm not going to... Um, I'm like, oh, he just sent me this, and I forgot to tell him to do that. And when I listened to it, I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> it sounded great. And I, I, I truly appreciated your musical um, interpretations they were absolutely fantastic and brought my piece to life. So thank you so much, Justin, for all of your, all of your work. Of course. And that's one thing I'm glad you brought up is the phrasing. You left me a lot of crescendos, decrescendos, and I had to think about, okay, there's all these written, but where's the big phrases? Where's, what's the big mm -hmm. picture thing going on? And that's one thing I really work hard to make sure I understood. Cause like you said, the piece changes characters so much. I had to think about, well, let's say in this first section, where do I want to go with it? Where am I leading up to? Am I going mm -hmm. to that climax or am I going to somewhere else? And that in the mm -hmm. end, you know, same story. Am I going all the way to the end or am I making some small stops along the way? Yeah. And you know, like if you want to, um, we didn't really talk about like what the, uh, piece was about before. I, well, I, I think we did a few yeah, times. Yeah, yeah, you kind of mentioned like fleeting moment. Like you read the program notes and everything. Else. No, 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 no. With Justin and uh, before we started recording, I mean. Oh right. Um, I'm not. I'm not sure if we uh, talked about what I was wanting. Um, what the piece, what I wanted to do with it. Um, and truly, you're you're. There are some things that I wanted that you didn't do, and there are some things you did do that I didn't expect. Um, but that doesn't mean that this wasn't any less good than I wanted it to be, if, if that makes sense. It kind of goes with the whole meaning of the piece. Right. Right? Every single piece is a collection of moments, and they're never going to be the same. If this piece is performed again, well, when this piece is performed again, it may be by you, Justin, or maybe by someone else, um, it's not going to be the same. And that's, like, the whole point, right? Yeah, now so, I want to write you a piece, because, oh, man, that was, that was awesome. It was really good. So now... Um, Justin, are you, are you okay with being embarrassed a little bit? No, of course. And I, I honestly kind of expect, like I said before, I gave Taylor some pretty rough drafts. It was rough. And the, <laughs> honestly, it just, the timeline was a lot shorter than I expected. You know, he yeah. told me, he's like, I eventually want this piece. And then it just, the dates came suddenly on both of us. I'm like, okay, I'm going to crank this thing out. I'm going to at least give him the notes and all that, something that he can use. And then when he sent me that first edited draft, I was like, well, dang. I didn't think I could sound that good. But truth um, be told, I was actually quite baffled about by how clean he can make it. And then not to say what I get that I, I'm just a dirty player. It's just 
I didn't I couldn't didn't have the time to make that many repetitions. And truthfully, that's one of the reasons I want to revisit this piece. So I have so I can go over it enough times so where I can give a solid clean performance all in one go without having to work in one chunk, record it and then work in another chunk and then record it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you were not dealt very good cards, right? Um, what I sent you, I sent you directions um, that I felt were pretty clear. Um, however, something went wrong with your audacity and you weren't able to follow my directions. And so when you sent them, sent me that recording, like, I was like, what on earth is he doing? Um, but once we talked, uh, we like, you realize, like, I realized that you were trying, trying to record on top of like stem after stem, um, on top of each other. However, it wouldn't let you do that. It it forced you to put the uh, audio at the end, record at the end of what you just recorded. So it was impossible for you to actually like be perfectly in time. So um, I'm going to now play. I'm going to try to find the right one. I'm going to I'm going to now play everything. So what Peggy's MIDI did, I'm going to play that with all of the dry sound that I got from you. Okay. So no, no reverb, no, um, no mixing, no intonation, no EQ, nothing. Okay. This is data like as exact, except for I just moved them so that they would be in time, uh, to counteract the problems that Justin was facing. So full, no inserts. I think that's what it is. Let's 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 look at this. All right. Um, it's only like 17 seconds long because I don't want to uh, embarrass him too much. I have to Thank listen you. To the I whole appreciate thing. that, Taylor. Yeah. <laughs> so here's 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 what we've got. Um, let's see if this is right. I don't think that one's right. Whoops. Yeah, I was like, I was like, that doesn't sound too bad. What the heck? (laughs) That sounds really good, right? Uh, Horn example, no edit. I think this is it. Yeah, probably the no edits part. My bad. Yeah, because I know I missed that note in the recording. (laughs) Yeah, you did. Okay, that was that bad. Like you uh, should to know, but like it's French horn, so you know. Oh yeah, it doesn't really really matter. No one's going to care anyway. No, I'm kidding. So shut up, shut up. Thank you. Okay, that was directed at you, player Justin, because you are. (laughs) So so don't don't take uh don't take that as like you know you're terrible like quit. But um, you know I wasn't until you just said that. Take note, destroying music careers since uh, 2020. <laughs> yeah, so it was it was a bit rough. Um, what you sent me, like, Mr. Brown would go, it's just out of tune, you know? And here's the thing, you weren't dealt very good odds because, like, with the problems with Audacity, you didn't have a pitch reference um, because you were recording in the wrong place. 
right? And I didn't send you a, like, um, the MIDI of a horn to get you in tune. Um, uh, and you had, like, a couple days to put this together. There yeah, wasn't it's not like much... you had a month, right? Yeah. Um, so, like, it, we were hard-pressed to get this in. And also, the sound quality was not good. It did, like, in, in my opinion, that audio did not sound good. I'll play it, uh, just play the, play it again. Horn example, no edits. Okay. It was, it's like that, 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 like it's really high and there's no resonance almost. Um, and in the room that you were, it, um, it had a lot of static, right? A lot had, had a lot of ambient noise and there wasn't much reverb. There was very little reflection off of your walls, which um, which was good, um, because then I could uh, incorporate my own reverb. However, it just it was just like there there were some some problems with it, and you know I uh, I'm gonna blame that on your microphone. I'm gonna blame that on um, just our general lack of being able to record really really well. And so how I fixed the timbre was I added EQ. So no review uh, with EQ. So here's what it sounds like. That's the piano flute. Shut up. Stop playing. God, yes. Okay, I didn't mean to do that. With EQ. You also notice I fixed that crack. And also, there was a time when you breathed in the uh, in the um, video, and so I had to add in that breath there by taking a note and shortening it. <laughs> um, so it there was there was it was hard to get it aligned right, um, but that sounded a lot warmer, and it sounded more like right, and it doesn't sound na 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 and like a like a nasally trumpet. Right. And so that sounds right. more open. And I'm sure you like Justin, I have heard you play. You sound amazing. Um, but I'm sure that's just like um the Well, the you know, microphone 50% you're of the using. brass player's sound is the room and yeah. so that that's not like a very open rehearsal space meant for mm-hmm. sound then. Mm-hmm. No, and along those lines, one thing worth noting, you know, especially for horn, I like thinking that wherever my sound is bouncing off to, that's also my instrument, especially. So right. I have, mm-hmm. I take all that, all the consideration, you know, you don't see it, but whenever I'm in any ensemble, I'm like, okay, well, how am I going to angle my chair? Where's my sound going to be going? How is my mm-hmm. arm going to affect that? There's so many to go, things that go into it. And truthfully, mm-hmm. the space I was in, you know, it's not made for that kind of thing, but I just kind of no. had to make do with what I had. Right. And, right. and it, it worked like this sounds, um, Obviously, this isn't perfect. This is not a uh, professional recording. Otherwise, um, you know, it wouldn't be me. It would be someone else, like Dr. G doing it. Um, but, like, it, it, I was able to, with EQ, by taking off the low end, taking off the high end, and amping up, um, uh, amping up a little bit of the middle, um, it really made it a lot more resonant. However, I had to be really careful about taking off the high end because I was trying to take off a little bit of the static as well. Um, the ambient noise. Um, but I realized while you were playing, it made your breaths sound really shallow. And I didn't really realize how important the sound of your breathing is to the music. If you don't hear the breath, 
um, as this big open resonant sound, it's not the sound is not going to sound good. And that's just like, I, I don't even know why it just didn't sound good without a good breath. Not like that. Not yawning. God, yawning that's sorry. so rude. You do <laughs> Dude, this I'm, every time, I am Adrian. I'm so exhausted. Like, yeah, I'm you just had the game yesterday. At this point. I got you. I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah. And I had to open <laughs> this morning at my job, too. What was, what was oh. funny is I actually, um, after the game, I went in and I, like, pre-opened the store before mm-hmm. I even got there so I could sleep in a little bit today. So I was like, I'd rather do it now than later. <laughs> Well done. Um, so there's a lot of clips that we have to get going through um, that I'm going to analyze. So I'm, uh, and we only have like an hour left. Um, so I'm sorry that you had to uh, the, the game and then right after like go work. That f- oh, it's, that it's all good. It's, I'm sorry. I, I take That's I roll with rough. the punches. Well, we were dealt a really good punch this morning. Yes. Yeah, today's the day we found out that Biden won and Trump lost. Yeah, it was it was pretty cool. Um I I basically I all of my most of my predictions for the uh, election were correct. Yeah, I same um, here. So I was I was like I was like let's go, dude. I was um, like cuz I was like going to win. At I was first, like Florida's going to be red. Everybody's yeah. like no, Florida's going to be blue. I'm like now Florida's going to mm-hmm. be red. But anyway, Let's get back into this. I'm sorry. I I, I, yeah. I brought us on that tangent. But if, tangent. Um, if you want to fix sound, especially live sound, EQs, EQ and reverb mm-hmm. are like the two go-tos. EQ, um, reverb, compression. Yes. Or limiters. Um, yeah. Limiters are good, but here's the thing with limiters. Um, they basically say after this many decibels, decibels it, it cuts, cuts off the sound. Yeah. Um, and it, it cannot go higher. However, with compressors, it says after this many decibels, it starts to, it has a little curve. It's like, it's like, um, right. It runs like a, an algorithm to determine yeah. that. Right. So they're, and, they're better for, um, yeah. for live music. So I'm, I'm mm-hmm. like, most of my, um, experience comes from like EDM, like, and making mm-hmm. beats and things like that. So that's what, so I'm not working with like real instruments. I'm working with like, you can uh, make a lot of money selling those plugins. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm starting to, uh, actually take dumb. it a lot more seriously. Um, just because I want to get really good at it. I want to be making some fire. I want to cook up fire like every single day. Whereas now I'm only cooking up fire like once, once a week. If that <laughs> <laughs> some days, all right. It's like, man, this is garbage. <laughs> like, come on. Dude. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so if you want to fix live sound, uh, reverb, EQ, uh, compressor. Mm-hmm. And then the the next thing, like the intonation was also a problem. So that, that fixed the dynamics. Um, and here's, here's what reverb sounds like. Um, You hear that? See, that little see, sound right there. Exactly. Fifty yeah. percent of the brass sound comes from the room. Just by it sounded, artificially it sounded making gorgeous. the room bigger with reverb, yeah. it automatically sounds better. It sounds gorgeous, and that's why you want to record dry, as dry yeah. as you can get. Um, yeah. So, so that sound you panels, can incorporate that tapestries if you're into that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> sound panel. Yeah. Um, that's, that's really LED important. LED optional. <laughs> <laughs> LED lights to create vibe. Yeah, you have to have the rainbow <laughs> keyboard. 
you know? Of course, of course. In support of the LGBTQ community, right? Heck no, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. J-Dog has it. No, I'm kidding. J-Dog? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's got his gaming set up. Ooh, that's clean. Viewers that's can't nice. see it, but Justin's got a god PC. <laughs> Only the you, got the, you got the Corsair RGB RAM? I'm not that rich. <laughs> okay, yeah, that, that stuff is expensive. They basically just took RAM, put LEDs on it, and then, like, marked it up, like, 50 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. I don't know anyway. really what you guys are saying. RGB but nice. just, uh, just computer RGB nerd things. RGB whore? Uh, that's your computer <laughs> nerd uh Do you put a the... LED lights on the bell or something? <laughs> oh man, that would be that would be great. It's like Blue Thunder. Um, oh my God, when oh, Blue Thunder did awesome. the Infinity Stones. Um, oh in the tubas, man, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was so tubas. cool. That was super cool. All right, putting anyway. uh, LED lights on horns is is really cool. Let's get back into this. Let's get, back, let's yeah. get back into this. Okay, cool. Um, so the next part was um Peggy and her midi. Um, there were some things that. Um, sounded, I mean, I really love her rubato, and that's what I really wanted in this piece, especially at the end of it. You heard a lot of rubato, and there were some sections in the middle of it that there was just a little bit of push and pull that she gave, and I really, I really liked that. Um, and there, there were a couple problems, um, that I was able to fix with, um, because I had her record MIDI and I didn't have her record, um, oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, so I didn't have a record audio. And so for those viewers, listeners, who don't know what MIDI is, MIDI basically records what note is pressed, when it is pressed, and how hard it is pressed. And that is, uh, so uh, pitch, pitch class, and then you have uh, yeah, pitch, octave. Pitch class and velocity. Pitch class, velocity, and timestamp as well. Right. Right. Um, and so all of that information, yeah, all of that information is sent to the computer and then it just compiles all of that data all midi is is code there's yeah, no that's audio why it's so small is because it's just yes yeah. and and people always like you know how people are saying oh just send me the midi and they actually mean the um like vst plus midi like whatever audio you yes. have with uh being controlled by midi you know people say that all the time right and it's like well midi is the code so tell me what you actually want. Do you want an so MP3 actually, or the MIDI? Yeah. So be careful about that, listeners. MIDI is code. It is yes, just so a text file. That's all it is. So if you're ever uh, co-producing something with somebody, like a mm -hmm. let's say I were to write like a beat, and then I was like, I send it over to a friend to like do the the chorus or something. Um, make sure mm -hmm. you send them your sounds as well. That is equally yes. as important. Or just yes. send them the uh, the actual audio of said beat. Let's, or if they, um, let's get into this. Yeah. Actually, okay, I have something to talk about with that. So I have six pianos in my computer. Um, and that's a weird way to say it. But I... Um, How do you fit them all? Yeah. I have a Steinway. I have a Yamaha. I have... Yeah, I have, I have some pretty cool sounds. I was able to download or I, I bought some VSTs, which VSTs are um, basically MIDI-controlled sounds, um, and these sounds were professionally recorded, okay? So actual, like, recording studios, and they are worth, like, thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, and I was able to get him. I'm able to get him for 10 bucks a month, and so uh, is everyone else. Do Composer Club? 
Composer Cloud. I was just about to say that. Yeah. East West Sounds. And so I got a bunch of different um, pianos from there and they do a great job. So I, the next part was like, what piano do I want? And that question was interesting because you might go, okay, there's not that much of a difference between these pianos. Listen, listen. Okay, there's that one. All right, this one. Okay. All right, and All right, and And there was a drastic change with the last one. Wait, um, I think because... I know. I think I know which one you use. Which one did I use? Five. I was gonna say four. Nope. Neither of those two. Nope. Dang. I used uh, the. Uh, it was the Steinway, and so it sounds like this. I'm pretty sure that was number two. Nope. Nope. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's number one, actually. Oh, cool. Um, cool. So I, I chose that one because it was kind of mellow, and the harsher, the the louder sections sounded really full, um, mm. and I really liked that. And I didn't want it bright, and the Yamaha was very bright. I was like, I don't want that sound. And so choosing the piano was a difficult process, um, especially because I had to choose it based on all the different characteristics of the piece. So, right. it goes so from, you're not just like finding one section. You're yeah, the, like a piano that fits the whole vibe of the entire piece. I had to listen the whole thing like eight different times. Well, yeah, more like 16 or 17 different times as I was filtering out pianos. Like, I don't like this one and uh, stuff because there were just minute details that I really wanted to get right, you know. Right. Um, and I, I still have work to do on this. This isn't a perfect product. There's still things that I would like to work on with it. And um, I think that would be uh, cool if we worked together and um, made a better draft of this, knowing what we know after this podcast. But that's that's up to you. Um, and then um, I also had I was also thinking about, you know, the EQ on a piano. Like, should I have EQ on a piano? What do I want on a piano? And I figured, so you know, I wanted to amp up the bass a little bit. Um, because it sounded really dead and I wait do I have that clip with reverb no EQ just piano clip with EQ actually no EQ okay that sounds good and um, that's Peggy playing it sounds good You know, it's, it's, a drastic that's a difference, difference with that. It has more depth yeah, to it. 
it like there's more body to the bass and like it wasn't like a huge amp up it was just like a very subtle little change. tiny little and it, yeah and it changed everything it's like that sounds so good you know um and then you know it's yeah. reverb it sounds just glorious you know like oh yeah it, it sounds beautiful with reverb um oh, plugins how i love you <laughs> yeah it's it's so cool like it is it is pretty amazing yeah so um, if you were to take away anything from this podcast one just as a phenomenal horn player two yes use uh eq and reverb and midi use midi as long as you have good sound access to good sounds yeah if you have good sounds use midi um mm-hmm. there's a because you can Spitfire edit audio has free labs that yeah. are very good that last one the this piano That's a uh, Spitfire, right? But they're free sounds, like so like sound. you're not you're not yeah you know. So if if you don't have money, they have very high quality sounds for being free. Yes, um, and just a step up from that, you have Composer Cloud, which is ten bucks a month. And you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about that a little bit. You know, um, text month ten bucks a month, like that's one hundred twenty dollars a year, and that's that's like $1,200 every decade. That's a lot of money. And you, you think about it, like the, comp- the, you get about 40 different VSTs. Okay. Different instruments. Um, and not only that different instruments, but like different packs of instruments. So like mm-hmm. Hollywood, uh, strings and then Hollywood strings, gold X. Um, and that has all of the strings with solos, with everything. All of the sounds, all of the effects, all of everything you can pretty much possibly imagine. That's one VST, and there are like 40 of those. And, you know, these are massive. Like, solo violin is like 40 gigabytes. Yeah, they're, okay. they're, they're huge. I have a they're portable huge. hard drive with all of them on it. I'm going to see how much, uh, while I'm talking about it, I'm going to um, see how much space is taken up just by my sound libraries. Oh, yeah, uh, if you're a, right-click properties, if you're a okay. producer at all. Um, basically 90% of the storage on my computer is, um, is sounds and the mm-hmm. uh, 5% is World of Warcraft and then the other 5% okay. is everything else. So, yeah. Um, I've got about, I mean, this podcast is about two gigabytes each podcast. Um, it's a lot of data. It's a lot of good <laughs> data too. Like, um, but you know, it's, it's actually kind of interesting data. Justin, that is what you sent me. You didn't send me a horn. You didn't send me the horn part. You sent me dots on a graph, and that's what a wave file is, right? You sent me you sent me data for me to utilize, right? And so I'm gonna get into the actually before before I get into that um, VSTs. I'm gonna finish what I was saying with that. Um, Ten bucks a month for forty VSTs, uh, full access to these things. Um, if you were to buy these VSTs, it would, um, my friend calculated and it would take about five years of 10 bucks a month to buy one VST and own it, be yours. But having 10 bucks a month for 40 VSTs, access to all of it 100% of the time, um, that is 100% worth it. 100%. You can also just, um, compose your piece get everything done, get all the groundwork laid out and everything, buy the VSTs for one month, record everything using those VSTs, and then you have it. Yep. And, you know, I could have done that with acceptance, 
right? Yeah. However, you need, uh, here's the thing about that. Um, you have to know what you're doing. Well, and obviously. it is a huge learning curve, learning what key switches are, learning how to use the data. And so I, I don't recommend that. And that's not me. Hey, you need to give them their money. Give them money. Um, it's more of along the line of like you need to learn how to use these things because it is it is hard. It takes a long time for you to develop these skills. And, you know, I've got a long way to go. Right. So I understand what you're saying, Adrian, but I respectfully disagree. So my uh, computer is still counting how many gigabytes I have, and I'm at 200 gigabytes of just uh, sound libraries, and it's still still going up, just like all of the votes. Um, so the um, the next thing, like you sent me data, right? The horn part was just data, and there, it was, I had to basically make you sound good even though you already sounded good i had to make the room sound your room sound good i had to make your um mono track that um was recorded amateur you know because we're all amateurs here i and i'm not roasting you justin right this is just this this is just how it is right um the cards that we were dealt i had to do like from my amateur experience i didn't take what i learned and make you sound better right that that's kind of the ultimate goal and like there were some parts that were just out of tune and um over the summer i was working with uh bear which we are about to um uh have a podcast with but we were we were just um recording like hymns of axiom and avengers stuff and we were really struggling with intonation like how do we be in tune and i downloaded melodyne um which is that's like a great just, one that's a good yeah, one i love that one it has all sorts of effects and stuff, and it it ha- it just it's big. It's got all sorts of cool stuff, but it has an auto tuner. Um, and so we were kind of toying with uh, what an auto tuner was, and so I just applied it to every track we already had, and guess what? It was perfectly in tune, but it sounded like garbage. And here is my hypothesis as to why it takes the data um, of takes takes the graph and it simplifies it to the point where Melodyne can read it. And then it, it tunes it. Yeah. And then yeah. it tunes it. However, with um, Studio One, it uh, I, I was able to, with without Melodyne, I was able to cut every single um, part, every single, every single note, basically, move them exactly where I wanted them to be. And I basically treated your horn like a MIDI instrument, except for, you know... I was moving wave files instead of MIDI, right? And so I was I was moving them exactly where I wanted them to be, uh, change the volume a little bit, um, and change the intonation, and um, it worked very well. And it sounded really cool, and it sounded in tune. There are parts, um, and I didn't use an auto tuner. I didn't want to use an auto tuner. I wanted to use my musical ear, right? I, I trusted my ear more than I trusted an auto tune because. It's just not going to sound good otherwise. Mm-hmm. I also had a small like uh, tuner available um, to see like how sharp it was. Like if it was like forty cents sharp, I'd bring it down to like thir- down thirty cents and see if it still sounds good. Because that's the thing about temperament. Like it's crazy. You you can't have everything in equal temperament and still sound good. So um, I was I was just kind of adjusting it based on my ear but using the uh tuner more of a re- reference of like how bad is it um and you know honestly it wasn't terrible 
Like there were some like extremes, like the low register of your horn. It was pretty, it was, it was, it was rough. And you could talk about how, um, extremes of horns can get very out of tune, but yeah. the middle registers is good. Uh, the funny thing is, is that you got me during a time where I'm incredibly pressured right now to focus on high horn. Oh and, no. You know, the setting <laughs> is incredibly different, incredibly different, but you know, and for that low horn stuff, you know, I'm not naturally a good low horn player. That's something I've been mm. working for years to get. I'm naturally a good high horn player. Actually, on my stand behind me, I have a new book of low horn etudes. So that's something I'm continually trying to work on. Mm-hmm. And oddly enough, you know, the challenge with horn is that the partials are so close. You know, it's like hitting a dart on a mm-hmm. dartboard. It just you just have a, such a small hitting target. a dart on the dartboard. I love it. But at the same time, you know. <laughs> The thing is, I'm a horn player, so I'm already used to those close partials. But with the low range, I now have so much more wiggle room. Yeah, I can hit a note yeah. that's literally twice as big as the octave above it, which is I'm, I'm not used to. So I just have so much room, and I have to find that middle point where the note is the most resonant and the most in tune. And unfortunately, you know, I would love to go back and really fine tune it on this piece. But I just didn't have that time, so I just had to mm-hmm. go with what I gave you. Yeah, and um, what you gave me, you had a good sound. There were some parts that were like a little bit almost growly, and I'm I think that's more based around like the mic um, trying to pick up perfectly than it was like your sound. Um, but I mean, you're not your your high range like was the most resonant and beautiful out of all of them. I actually had two horn. Um, EQs. One was when you were in your low register. One was in your when you were in your um, middle to high register. Um, and so I amped up the bass a little bit more in um, when you were in your low register and not. Um, but it was yeah, it was, it was just flat out. It was out of tune. Flat out. It was it was out of tune. Um, and there's right. like and, bomb, bomb, um, bomb. The, the harder um, it's a lot harder to like auto tune like horns. And, and I'm not going to auto tune. Right, I know, but I'm just, I'm yeah. just saying for the, the listeners, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, it's Don't, a lot harder yeah. to, like, uh, you know, pitch correct the, uh, yes, that's, yeah. the yep. instruments. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, Justin's a good player. And because he's a good player, I was able to do that. And that's kind of how I think about it. It's like, I'm not good at my job. He was good, and he handed me good material for me to be able to work with. And if you give your sound engineer something that they can't work with, it sounds yeah, bad. Like and that's why all uncut. pop music sounds the way it does. Um, um, I'm kidding. Like an uncut diamond and you just had to cut it and polish it. Yeah. That's, and it, it sounded it. great. Yeah. Um, and Justin, going off a little bit about what you were saying. Oh, I just, uh, the computer's done. It's 530 gigabytes right now. And I'm going to be downloading more eventually. But 530 number. gigabytes, half half a terabyte of just sounds. So yeah. Anyway, um, uh, what's your name, Justin? I'm there sorry. Wow. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Goodbye, Justin. I'm sure you want to leave now. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, so the um, the horn. I, I love how you guys say our partials are so much closer than other horns than other instruments. And it's it's a weird way to say it, in my opinion, um, from someone who always plays on the fundamental or the second overtone, or the first overtone, second harmonic. Here, 
here's the thing about all instruments. Um, they, they exist on the harmonic series. Pianos are on the, for, on the fundamental all the time. However, you can do harmonics. Um, us voice players, uh, vo- uh, voice people, people with voices, you know, humans. That's what I was trying to say. Wow, that was hard. <laughs> um, we're, we're, we are on the fundamental until we go into the falsetto, which that's the first harmonic. Um, dang it. Uh, yeah, no, first harmonic, first overtone, second harmonic. Um, which is actually kind of funny. I was just watching a, um, a two-set violin doing what's called um, harmonic singing or uh, overtone singing. And it's really interesting. Basically, you change the uh, resonant chamber of your mouth to um, focus on different harmonics that are being uh, that are sounding that are coming out of your voice. Right. That's it was really interesting. It was really cool. Um, But the thing is, on a horn, um, I'm just going to argue with you and I'm going to say a flat statement and you can disagree. Um, The partials are not closer together. Um, That's what I'm that's what I believe. They they are not closer together. Your natural range is just higher on the harmonic series, right? Because your harmonic series exists the same way as a tuba, same same way as a trumpet, same way as a trombone. Um, and so you go octave, fifth, octave, third. Wait, so you just invalidated fifth, flat your seven. argument. No, By I didn't. saying that the partials are... No, because the partials are closer because it is higher on the harmonic series. Uh, well, no. Uh, its natural range exists on a different level of a different part of the harmonic series. Whereas you, Adrian, you exist lower on the harmonic series. Right. But that doesn't mean the partials are like... They're they're just closer together. It's like uh, no, they are closer Adrian. together as a result of being higher on the harmonics. That's what yes. I'm. That's what I'm saying. Yes, you inval- Then you invalidated your own point because they are closer together. Anyway, whatever. In, within the natural range, I I I see what you're saying, Adrian. But here's the thing: if you played higher, you'd be in the same place as a horn. Is what I'm saying. So, yeah, so for, the partials would be closer together. As you go higher, because on the partials horns. are just like where your lip setting is for the note. Like that's basically. That's just what it is. Yeah. Yeah. So basically what I'm saying is there are two schools of thought. There are schools of thought of what the horn players teach. Um, what horn players say, it's like, oh, we're on the different way of our partials are just closer together. And for me, from a sound engineering standpoint, from more of a mathematical standpoint, I would just say your natural range exists higher on the harmonic series than most people. However, your partials are all exactly the same distance apart as everyone else. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So, and the fact that it is higher on the harmonic series makes it difficult. Yes, means they're closer together. Well, no, makes it more well. Yes, but makes it more difficult and makes it feel like you're throwing a dart at a dartboard with a dart on it, and you're trying to hit the dart. Um, I don't. What what did you say? You said hit a dart on a dartboard. Can we just let the horn player decide how to talk about the horn? Sure. That, I'm just saying that's can how I just, personally think about it. Can we just let me it. talk about it? <laughs> Mom, Dad, please stop fighting. No, that's just how I personally think Anyways, about it. Anyways, where, where, where were um, we going with that? With dartboard, what were, we, what were we going on about? I completely forgot. Oh, we were in the low register, and so it was difficult for you to be in tune, and it was difficult for you to hit those pitches because those pitches, those um, uh, partials are further apart down uh, in the lower register, right? Um, and so the, 
they like I had to work on um just making it sound um how would you how you would want yourself to sound in a um in a you know a recital hall right and I had to add the reverb I had to try to do a mess with EQ a little bit and it sounded better um not saying that you sound bad in the low register at all right I also threw you a couple curveballs because I was like hey I'm gonna have you in the bass clef for the very beginning and towards the middle and you're gonna be at like blast excuse me blastissimo which you're gonna inherently be flat and subsequently I mean not subsequently like sure enough you were flat when you sent it to me um and you know like I I knew that going into it like he's gonna struggle with this spot but your high range when you got to the ba ba da da like um towards the middle of this it just sounded so good and very resonant so very well done with that thank you um sorry this uh, again I'm it sounds like I'm kind of roasting you so I'm I, a little bit um so in the future what would you change what would you want to do differently justin if you're going to do another multi-track project with this what would you want to see from my from me from the person orchestrating it um not only orchestrating it but person um, putting it all together what would you want to see so it depends on what context and i've been thinking about it and i kind of alluded to it with your dynamics you wrote in the piece Mm-hmm. For a premiere, I think the dynamics, you know, you gave a clear way for phrasing. But if we're just recording this, this same piece again, I almost wanted you, you to take them out. And okay. here's, here's why. I want you to see fully what the performer does. Like you said, it's like a different performance every time. So why not take that to the next level and force the performer to kind of think about how they want to shape it? And, you know, maybe Take out all dynamics. No, yeah. Like, well, to an extent, like put <laughs> yeah. the editors know or, you know, the composers remarks about the piece, how they think it should do. But then I think part of the thing that's special with this piece is that it can be performed differently. You can mm-hmm. take the, the rubato sections a little bit differently. You can slow down a little bit differently in different places or the peaks of phrases can be a little bit different. And I think that's one thing I might want to mess about. Because while I like your ideas, I want to see what else we can do with it. Especially yeah, I think that, be really cool if you like came in on a high note, or like you did like one of those riffs up to a high note, and then just suddenly just like drop down the dynamics, so it's like pianissimo, and then slowly swelled or something like that. And along those lines, mm-hmm. there's one thing. Unfortunately, we can't do too much of when we're doing a track recording project like this, where I I'm not with a accompanist, and I work with Peggy for many years, and that. Mm-hmm. And we always talk about it's like, you know, let's try doing this here dynamically here. Mm-hmm. The, or one thing I really do miss, honestly, is that I like looking to her and say, take over here. I'm supporting you is those type of things. But overall, and there are certainly moments like that in this piece. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And definitely with that last half where it's uh, the mixed meter stuff, which uh kind of hard to record to. But oh, honestly, I can't imagine <laughs> But overall, there's yeah. not too much I would do differently. It's just I want to. I would like to get a few more times just to get it a little cleaner up for my sake. Get that intonation because I I want to get it as natural feeling as possible. Because mm-hmm. I think that's the biggest thing with this piece. It just has to be organic. And I think for the time we had, I think it was pretty dang good. But now I think we can take it to the next level. 
Yeah, and listening to it again, like I, I saw several errors. I heard several errors. I was like, oh wow, that was a pro. Oh yeah, like the static. Um, there was a there was a spot towards the end of it. Um, the podcasters, uh, not podcasters. What are they called? Listeners. Wow, I'm having a day. Um, the listeners, when they uh, hear this, they're, they're, when the piano comes in right at the towards the very end, um, I took Peggy's audio and I I brought up the dynamics just a little bit. Um, but that means it brought up the static behind it as well. And you could hear that when it shifted a little bit. Um, you could hear the shift in the static. And it was difficult to work with you, Justin, um, on your... Not with you. It was difficult work on your audio, sorry, um, because the ambient noise. And how I combated that, um, which this was probably not the best way, um, is I, I created static at the same frequency um, as your room. And so I took um, a sound clip of your room and I just kind of heard, listened to it over and over and over again, just kind of thinking about, okay, where is this? And I had a little um, noise generator and I was trying to match it at like the best I could. Um, and so that's kind of uh, how I put that together. Um, however, uh, that kind of takes away because then you have noise going throughout the whole piece that isn't important. It doesn't support the music, right? Um, that was just kind of me, um, like, you know, smoke and mirrors type problem. Um, and I'm sure there's a better way for me to do that. And I'd love to uh, learn about how to do that. But anyway, one thing that I, I need to, uh, one problem that I had was I sent several click tracks to Peggy um that were one was at 76 beats per minute one was at um 80 beats per minute and the other one was at 88 beats per minute to start right those were the those are the three tempos and that's how fast i wanted they were all adjusted proportionately um and because peggy was sending midi i was able to speed it up without any problem at least that's what i thought um because she ended up using the 76 beats per minute um click track and send me a recording based on that, which I was able to speed up um, just fine. However, I'm going to use a calculator. 88 divided by 76. 1.157894. Like the, the fraction is not nice. It is, it is not a good fraction. Um, and so I only had a limited amount of decimal points. I could move it. Um, so I I what I did not do myself uh like I, I I didn't do a good job of that like I I should have done better um picked better tempos for her to record at because it ended up she ended ended up getting offset towards the end of it it sounded good it sounded good until about la last half I had to cut it and move it ever so slightly and readjust it and there's nothing I could have done about it.
So I did want to get Justin's input on the whole partial thing. How do you yeah. feel partials work on your instrument? Because I know I play a brass instrument, and when I get like up in the high range, I'd assume that's what it's like for you. Yeah, to an extent. So the easiest way I can explain it is, you know, think back to when you first picked up your instrument, you know, back in elementary school. And wherever the teacher, whatever the first note the teacher taught you was probably in the middle of your range. And, you know, Taylor's got a, he's on the right track with saying, you know, it's basically in the upper range of the harmonic series. But the problem is that that's for, on horn speaking, that's in the middle of my range. Whatever note Mm -hmm. they taught me, let's say, you know, a written G, concert C, that's the middle of my range. And that's what I have to work with. But the same, the, the harmonic series is still true. I'm just higher up there but my that's mm-hmm. the middle of my tessitura so if i go up i don't have a, that much room to go to actually expand upwards like you can on like a trombone or something like that you just have so much more room to go up but you you can hear in the piece or other compositions i just have a lot of room i can go very low i can expand mm-hmm. a lot lower in the range so that's the tricky part is that the partials are closer because that's where i that's the middle of the road that's where i'm buzzing most of the time. And even if I go into depths in the basement, you know, that fundamental pitch, I actually don't have that in my range consistently because it's just so low there. That's the thing about the horn is that the range is so expansive that it's nice that you have all those pitches you can use, but chances are it's just, you have to learn all those pitches. You know, it's not as easy as like, okay, here's an octave. I got to just either double it or half it. So that's the thing with the partials. I do believe it's, they're just a lot closer together because you start, in a range where they're already close. Do you know if the horn is constructed in a way that makes it like that? So one of the things about the horn is that it is a conical instrument instrument. Mm -hmm. It's not a cylindrical instrument. So as the horn, as you go through the tubing of the horn, it's gradually getting bigger, which means, you know, wherever you're buzzing, certain notes like to bounce off different parts of the instrument. So, you know, Sometimes you will. Rep- I can replace my lead pipe, and then certain notes will come up better. I can hit them better with certain fingerings. There's just so much consist inconsistencies, and you know that's one of the things about horn playing is that there's so many. There's not one horn that I can say like that's the horn everyone should be playing. It's just so different. It has to be catered to the individual. So the horn I have, well, it's good. It's some notes just don't buzz well for me, and that's just the nature got- of it. You got right. that horn like two years ago, right? Yeah, I got it two years ago. That was a definite new horn. A definite step up from that, and it's a good horn. I recommend it, but there's, it's not perfect for me. And that's another thing is you know with mouthpieces, you know I replace the rim with replace the mm-hmm. the cup, so I can just find a compromise where all my notes can hit in a good place. And just like alluded to before with the low range, each note I have to go through and find where does it resonate best with my buzz, and then be able to hit that spark on as with other instruments you can probably get away with you know loosely buzzing there unless you want to get excellent at your instrument right right it's the same it's the same way for trombone as well um that's why i was really excited for the itf we were going to go to um but then it got canceled um, Uh, because of covid i have the same sentiments ihs was supposed to be back in august and we were supposed to go as well oh yeah, so that's why I'm excited for uh, Corona to be over whenever that happens. Um, so that way we can we can go back to having those uh, conventions and things to where you have, like, you know, an abundance. Like, Giddings brings every single mouthpiece they have, so you can bring your horn and try it on every single one and just see which one works best with you. 
Because you can't really do that going to Dunkley's because they have to like order everything. Right, and that's and a if strong, you don't like it. Yeah, it and that's sucks. a it's a struggle with younger students, especially whenever I go to out to the schools or, you know, they especially for equipment, you know, French horn because it's such a niche instrument relative to others. Uh, schools just don't prioritize it. They're gonna probably right. Especially if they have a good marching band program, they're probably going to work on funding the percussion a little bit more. Or if they mm-hmm. have a great wind program, they're probably going to focus on getting all the trumpets on be- the best equipment they can, or getting euphoniums, swapping in those Tubas. out to have baritones. Right. Or you know, if you stuff- buy like a really good B flat trumpet, that works. Taylor, that works in concert band, but also works in marching band, mm-hmm. and that works in jazz band. Whereas if you buy the same level of horn. Um, you know, you know. Truth like, be told, you like you really use it in right. concert, right? And I love how you singled me out there. I know because you were like trumpet. <laughs> I, I was like B flat. I was like Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> just like we know uh, how you feel about B flat trumpets, but this is just hypothetical. Justin, this is uh, a little bit of context. I hate B flat trumpets in concert band. I just hate them. They suck. Yeah, that's why C I was trumpets, like, don't, don't, t- don't hijack this. <laughs> C trumpets are superior. Well, just for you, yeah. I'll play on B-flat horn forever and ever. <laughs> Sorry about Heck that. Yeah. I inter- I interrupted you, Justin. But no, that, and like I just said, I just said, oh, I can play on B-flat horn. Well, that's another thing about my horn. I can play in B-flat. I can play in F. Theoretically, I could play on anything there is, and that's... Under a struggle is that, you know, especially you have horn players that want to go into orchestral stuff. We're pretty old fashioned in the sense that we have to be able to read in different keys and not just major keys, things like that. You know, there's horn parts in A, B, H even. D, H, yeah. Horn and H. I mean, you're right. Horn and H is a thing and that's a thing. I know. Yeah. And it's (laughs) discouraging when you try and explain all these different things about the horn to new students and it kind mm-hmm. of discourage them a little bit. So, and trying to introduce them to the instrument, it just can be very difficult. So that's mm-hmm. why I try and approach it as it's not a beast. It's just special. And it takes a special kind of person to kind of to try to do it, but they have to really work hard on it. You know, like I explained all the challenges I had trying to work through this piece, you know, you have to be prepared to take that on with your students. I should have written it in tenor clef. If you did that, I would have walked out. <laughs> yeah so oh yeah you're reading in different you reading in different keys is basically the same thing as um like bassoons reading in the different clefs well you say or, that i also have to read in not to, tr- to tender clef but i do this book actually bass I pointed clef out before. in both keys this right thing in, in several this, different keys yeah and in different notations so yes, that's another yes. thing yeah i can read in bass clef but sometimes I'm going to have to read it an octave off because way back then in Europe, mm-hmm. they like writing things in bass clef an octave below what they wanted it to be played as. Mm-hmm. And, but the thing is, no, they don't list that in the compositions. No composer's like, oh, this is an old notation. Play it an octave above what's written. I have to figure that out. And that's the and funny thing. With this book I have behind me, they're all in bass clef, all 32 etudes. Mm-hmm. And they're in all old notation. So I have to read in bass clef and then displace it by an octave, which is fun. And and that's kind of the problem. Excuse me. With notation softwares, they will do that automatically. And this is like really bad. Because if you're not very good at transposing to different instruments, um, you'll be writing a an F horn part um in treble clef 
and then you'll say, okay, I'm just going to move this to base clef. Your notation software may go, all right, it's going to be a base clef, but it's going to be pitched in C. Um, because that happens mm-hmm. in horn parts, right? And you have to be really careful about that and be really aware of what your notation software is doing. Because if if it's reading in a different pitch, you're, you have to be able to tell your horn players that on the page, yeah. right? So you have to be really careful about that. Right. And just and, as, as a, an aside oh. here to any any and all composers who have a desire to write horn in other pitches, that's absolutely not necessary in the modern day because that was written mm-hmm. for when if you wanted to change horn key, you have to basically take a whole slide out and put a new slide in. So that's oh, just what not, are those called? Crux. Oh, yes. Yes, that's it. So that's not yes. necessary. If anyone had any ambition of doing something like that, just write it all in F and then we'll be happy. Mm-hmm. And you know what's funny? I, uh, I love how you talk about the different keys in the horn. You're playing the same horn. And tubas do this, uh, I would argue, almost more than um, horns at times um, because they, their instruments are different. The keys are the same usually, right? So they're, they're, they're parts are usually pitched in C, but, you know, there are E-flat tubas, there are F-tubas, there are C-tubas, there are B-flat tubas, and everyone's going to be on different tubas, right? Right, and along those lines, props to the the professional tuba players that have all these different tubas, Uh, Mm -hmm. but the nice thing is for tubas that, you know, if you're playing an ensemble, you're probably reading in B-flat or C-tuba, Mm-hmm. And then you'll probably be more cozy in one of those and you'll have your preference. If you're solo playing, you'll probably be playing on an F or E flat tuba, mm-hmm. which is nice. Mm-hmm. But from what I've heard, you know, it, it can be a challenge in those instruments to just, you know, while they all read as written, that's a lot of fingerings you got to remember. Yeah. Especially, you know, oh, you yeah. got compensating, fourth valve, all this different things. So props to them yeah. for being, for putting the money into that, all that thing as well. These tubas are pricey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's kind of funny. There's, there's, two ways of looking at a brass instrument and this doesn't work for woodwind instruments because we have uh the pit like the pads go down the instrument right and the longer the instrument is the um lower it will play with brass instruments the length of your horn stays the same regardless um kind of in a way it depends on how you think about it so you can think about it as say c on trumpet is completely open uh, b- for a B-flat trumpet, is completely open. Or even for a C trumpet, it's still completely open. Um, and then when you go, the next fingering is uh, C-sharp, and that's down all three. And the next fingering is you move, uh, you flip everyone off uh, to the right of you. Um, and then, like, you can think about it as different fingerings, or you can think about it as, all right, I am uh, now pitched in C with all my uh, keys open. This is the C trumpet. I am now pitched in C. You move down a half step, so you press down your second valve. Um, I am now pitched in B-flat. This is a bugle in B-flat. I mean, B-natural. Press down your first valve, only your first valve. I am now a bugle in B-flat. Uh, and the reason why I'm saying bugle is because there are no valves, right? You are just playing uh, a cylindrical instrument, and you're only playing with partials. And that's kind of how... Right. Um, that's, that, that's kind of how fingerings work, right? You're changing the length of the horn. You have a, a trumpet has eight different horns in one horn, technically. Yeah, and you I want think to the think best about way that. to visualize that is on trombone. Yes, that is a, there are two ways of looking at it. Slide. Yeah, yeah, you just you, move the slide and you're changing. You're not just yep. changing notes. You're changing mm-hmm. the entire harmonic series of yep. the instrument. Yep, and, and 
some people say, I don't think about it like that. I just think about the fingerings. And there's nothing wrong. You can think about it both ways. But I feel like thinking about the instrument as different fingerings being um, different horns can help you transpose. You're actually pretty, pretty close on that. So I, I look at it different ways. If I'm just reading a normal F part, you know, concert band or what have you, yeah, it's just a fingering to me. But when I'm learning a solo from the Baroque era, I'm reading an orchestral part, and I'm trying to understand what's the easiest way to play this. Let's say I have an orchestral mm-hmm. part horn written in for horn in D. I'm like, okay, my horn's naturally pitched in F, so I put down my first two valves, and now I have a theoretical horn in D. So mm-hmm. theoretically, I should be able to play that part all on just one and two fingering. So and that helps me get a better understanding is that mm-hmm. of how they used to play it and maybe using that fingering since that's how it was intended for it can be easier for certain passages you know and that's the thing about the nice thing about my partials being so close to go together as a horn player I have options <laughs> it's just a matter of knowing what you have so yeah you know t- I didn't tell you this Taylor but for that one passage that diminished passage I looked at many alternate fingerings trying to see What's mm-hmm. the easiest way? Do I just play this all on the F horn or do I play it all on B flat horn? You know, and it's nice having that options, but that's something you really have to explore as a horn did you, player. Did you switch? Uh, wait, do you have a double or a triple horn? Oh, I cannot afford a triple horn. Okay, and that's another so you have thing a double we, horn. <laughs> we can get into later, you know, the different types yeah. of horns. Uh, I have a normal double guy wraps Yamaha and it serves me well. But one thing that's important to know as a composer is that. My F and B flat horn, there's a reason we have those two sides of the horn and they sound very drastic yes. and very different. If you want, yes. if you just want a certain type of sound, if you want a nice soft sound in my middle range, I'll probably be playing on an F side horn. But if you deliberately want me to play with a very spread and honky sound, I'll play my B flat horn. I won't like it, but it's the different types of sounds I have. And also mm-hmm. in the low range, you know, I have to think about if I'm... I have to think about what sound do I want for this passage in my low range. I wanted to kind of pop out a little bit more, the pierce through the ensemble, then I'll play on my B flat side. Do I want it to kind of be a background type finger? Then I'll use my F side. So that's the th- type of things I have to think about. And I looked at that when I was playing your through your piece for the first couple of times. And I'm thinking, well, this is a pretty soft, but there's some se- sections in here that kind of have to be a little bit more punchy. So those are mm-hmm. all things I have to consider when I'm looking at a piece of music. Yeah, and it's it's funny how you say B flat side and F side of your horn, um, because some people just uh, think about it as like, oh, it's just an alternate fingering. But when you like really dive down into it, it is a completely different horn. You can think about it as like two different bells, two different. You're you're just picking up a horn, you're setting it down. Now this is one in B flat, but you're doing that by just pressing a rotary valve, um, right? And that's uh that's why it's a double horn. Is that correct? That's exactly it, and. You know, trombones do the same thing. Two layers of finger of of tubings. You know, if you look at my mm-hmm. horn, you know, for each valve, there's two sets of tubings because mm-hmm. you know, for the B flat side, they have to be different lengths. They have to be accommodate different things. But as uh, as a caveat, as a double horn, it's not a perfect instrument because mm-hmm. that. Let's say for the lead pipe example, it has to accommodate both sides of the horn. So mm-hmm. it's just gonna it's a compromise. So I have to. If I'm on the F side, well, I have to give up a little bit. If I'm going on the B flat side, I have to give it down a little bit. There's no perfect yeah. scenario, which makes the horn playing even more difficult. And so right. when you tune, you have to tune six different valves. Well, it depends. On my horn, sure. But some horns have eight. <laughs> some horns have eight oh, slides. Yeah. Some horns have 11. Yeah. And that could that's still all on a double. So that's 
yeah other element to it it's just wait why double why 11 on a double so sounds it, like we're it, talking it, about cheeseburgers <laughs> i'll take one I'll, I'll take one McDouble i'll take an 11 by 11 <laughs> there might be an in and out coming closer to idaho on the border but we'll talk about that later oh god i don't like uh anywho but uh well you i you may have not caught it but i specify what type of horn i have a yamaha double gyre wrap mm-hmm. horn gyre wrap and that's just the way okay. my tubings are, the way that the air flows through my instrument. And because of that, let's just look at the slides. I have six slides on my valves. And then I Wait, have why two, not seven? Hold on, listen. Okay. I have six I'm slides sorry. on my valves and I have two tuning slides. If you follow my lead pipe, I hit tuning slide oh. right away. But there's, wait, wait, an, why two? there's another hold on. I'm sorry, there's I'm a, confused. Listen, okay. <laughs> uh, I'm not gonna get I can't get too specific here, but there's one right after my lead pipe, and then each valve has two. But then my yeah. F side has its own. So my horn has eight slides I have to work with. On wait, wait. other older mm-hmm. horns, hold on. Other older okay. horns <laughs> will also have a anywhere from one to three more slides on the B flat slide alone. Why? Okay. I have questions. Okay. This is more about the order in which they come. Okay. So on your lead pipe, that's the one that, that attaches right to your mouthpiece, right? So mm-hmm. You have one tuning slide on that, okay? So you adjust that. You're adjusting both your B-flat and your F. Right. That's right. I would use that as my main tuning slide. Okay. And so then it goes through first, second, third valve, and then to your horn. Not always. I mean, to your bell. It depends on Hold what side up. of the horn okay. I'm playing on. Yeah, only for your B-flat. This is well, I'm on B-flat, then it doesn't... I, it's hard to remember. But if I go okay. through the B-flat side, I believe it will no, go through sorry, the valves F. first. Natural horn, F. I mean, well, natural horn's a whole different beast. There's no valves in natural horn. Okay, okay, See, okay. Th- so I'm no, confused. What, <laughs> we're getting into a lot, but you're kind of you're making my point valid. Is that there are just so many different types of horns? I, I, you, know, you want to talk about natural horn? Okay, which key of natural horn? You want to talk about double horn? Okay, is it a desiccant horn? Triple or is it a horn? Double horn? You want to talk about a triple horn? Well, okay, what what horn? Is How it? many valves? Pitch, is it pitch and F and B flat and F alto B or flat? E flat alto? There's so many different considerations. Or am I playing on a single horn? There's just all these different things. How about Vienna horns? What style oh, horn am I God. playing on? What kind of rap is it? Crespi, Geyer, something else? <laughs> Modify Geyer with knobs. And this is a long list, but it's just so many things I have to consider. I know, and I'm sure every I other instrument it. has. To think about these things as well, it's just the problem with horn, and I specifically pointing this at students, is that there's nothing I can point to say that's the one. Oh my that's god! The horn. That as is with, so let's say I'm, cool. If I'm a band director and I'm teaching, you know, amateur trumpet players, I can say confidently, like, get a box strat if you want a professional yep. trumpet or a tr- or a Yamaha mm-hmm. Zeno. I can say that with confidence because they're going to be good instruments no matter what. They're going to be good for what they need. Now, if you're a professional, right. we'll do a different use case. But same thing with trombones. Like, okay, get this one. But with horn, I you just can't do that. Okay. Does that vastly depend question. on the player? It depends on the player, the region, budget, because you know horn is not a cheap instrument. Oh yeah. Just now, our horns become starting to become decently affordable. Uh, for an entry level professional, you might be spending anywhere from four to five thousand dollars. That's reasonable. I have a question. Go on. Well, two questions. All right. Okay. So first one is, for a triple horn, how many valves is that? Not valves. How many uh, slides? Not slides. What are they called? 
Tuning slides, yes, tuning slides. How well, many there tuning would, slides? There would be three for each valve. And, three for uh, each valve. Uh, and then this is, it depends on the yeah, brand. Yeah, this is where it Because the uh, Engelbert Schmidt horns, you can't really, tu- there's not a main tuning slide for the high horn part. Instead, they have a little tuning bit right where the mouthpiece goes. Kind of like a flugelhorn, if you see oh, those. Oh, okay. Then they don't have tuning slides, they have a tuning bit. Which oh, okay. will tune everything. Because on those high horns, you know, the lead, the horn is so small at that point. It's like, a, think about a piccolo trumpet if you're using that high side. There's just not much room to go with. So you get, so anywhere you can make it tunable, that's what's happening. So, and it depends on my brand, you know, different horn makers, they have different amount of valve for a triple horn or doubles. You got compensating horns that do different things. So it just varies so much by instrument. What is the function of it? That's cool. Like what is it? What does it change as compared to the double? So you'll see this mostly used by professional players and in the orchestral setting, the principal horn has to be able to play soloistically and high. So it'll have the it'll typically have the normal double horn parts. It'll have the F horn and B flat horn. And then the triple part, it could it could have either an F alto, which is like the F horn, but it's just half the size. So you can so the partials in the high range are spread out more making them not necessarily easier to hit, but easier to target, if that makes any sense. And you, Yeah, yeah, I, get, I know what you mean. And that's basically what that it's getting into. Is think about it's adding a piccolo horn to your double. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, it's, it's really fascinating to me because you, you think about them as I thought three different were horns. Lot simpler than that. So this podcast has and opened also, my eyes to the whole horn world. Dude. <laughs> I I was like, at first I was staying away from them because I thought uh, I was like, I don't even know like the like good ranges for like different parts. But now I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah, it's complicated. I did. I I knew that it was complicated, but I didn't understand like why it was. Complicated. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean, like. I, I didn't realize all of these slides existed. I'm like, holy crap. And I was, I'm sorry for interrupting you, but I had so like, like getting really excited about it. Okay. Okay. So triple, triple horns have yeah. two, two tuning. Uh, what are those called? Uh, two valves. They'll have two um, triggers. Two triggers. That's what you call them. Triggers. What happens if you press both? Do you have mm-hmm. one on your pinky or is just two on your... <laughs> Well, granted, I never owned a double, I mean, a triple horn myself, but from what I believe is that you might, it again, it varies depending on the manufacturer. Sometimes yeah, you might yeah. think um, the best analogy I can make is to a bass trombone. Some of them with a double valve, you'll need to press both because it just has to go through all that tubing. It wouldn't make sense for it to go through one. So on some double horns, you may need to press both of them. And on some models, and... Adrian is bringing his bass trombone. Yeah. But it just depends. So if you press both of them, you know, it might give you access to the right tubing. And the thing is, on a normal double horn, when you press the trigger, it moves one valve. Typically. Okay. On a triple, they might move two instead. You'll see a giant Mm -hmm. mechanism expanding the entirety of the horn, and it'll move actually two smaller valves instead of one taller valve. So it'll depend on what you need to do. Because how key? it works on bass oh. trombone, there's there's two types. There's the good kind and the bad kind. All right. Um, <laughs> but um, you have the independent, which I have right here, which is um, I can play just the G flat attachment. Um, okay. Or you have the ones that are dependent valves, which are the uh, ones that are like up here. Or sorry, 
Um, so when you press the F1, then it routes it. Um, it routes the air through the F attachment. And the dependent, if your valve is dependent, that valve is on the F attachment. So that way, when you hit that valve, you're also holding down the F attachment. So it then redirects the air again. But with my horn, the independent one, you see how it's um, connected just to the main, the main bell section right here. So you can independently press the G flat one as well. This is a podcast, Adrian. I, I love you, man. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know, but I was just <laughs> so like, you're looking at this. reference. Yeah. Um, so, it, yeah, that's really interesting. And also, I've seen people talk about um, the different triggers on trombone. Let's, I don't want to get too far in this, but they're like, um, like, this kind of goes into Newtonian physics. Um, you don't want um, really harsh turns in your tubing because... Um, every action has an equal and opposite reaction. As you uh, um, have the airflow move, um, it's going to resist you based on like the proportionate amount it's uh, it's turning. Um, and so that's why you're going to get a lot of resistance on different um, places, like with, with badly um, designed instruments. Um, and so there are triggers that, like, I, I think it's a, like a, con- a, a cone shape. Um, where yeah, the tubing, I believe it's like the axial flow valve where it's kind of that yeah. cone shape. Yeah. And like, that's not the shape of the air, but inside of it, it, like it has a really cool mechanism of how it directs the airflow. Um, and it, it makes it really smooth and it makes it a lot better. Adrian, yeah, could you talk about that? Or feel free the, Adrian, if you want to relink it to trombone, but on horn. So that's one of the things about the specific wraps there are. So my Geyer wrap oh. is that it's a, it's smoother. When people say they like Geyer, that means they like that free flowing feeling of it. But the other wrap is, is that a double horns. It's a crusper wrap. When, and when you say free flowing, free, 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 well, let me finish. free flowing. Let me, fring. let me finish. Let me finish. I'm, is that the airflow? Let me finish. Or is that a I'm trigger? Gonna, I'm, the easiest okay. way I can describe it is by describing what it's not. So you, okay. okay. So I would caution saying that those harsh turns and resistance is kind of a bad thing because some people prefer that on the crusty oh, yeah. wrap of the horn. And now here's why. Mm-hmm. Well, think about how long is the horn. Do you guys know off the top of your head how long the horn is? Wasn't well, it like 30 feet? Okay, well, let's be realistic, Taylor. Eight, about 18 feet. Damn. Adrian, how long would you say is a trombone? Uh, slide fully extended or no? No, let's go without. Um, it's probably about like 12. So that's the thing. The horn's a little bit longer. And the nice thing about trombone is that, especially a straight tenor, is that it's like a bugle. You don't have that resistance by the valves. The valves are a big component. Mm-hmm. But with that crusty wrap horn, the bends are a little bit tighter because it's all on the upper side of the horn. But it gives you a nicer, it gives you more crisp articulation, can give you mm-hmm. more punch in your low range and all that, if that's yeah. something you want. So with the the dif- disadvantage to my type of horn is that I kind of lose that a little bit, but I can make up for that with just a stronger articulation or mouthpiece, which is a whole different can of worms. Yeah, I just looked it up. Uh, like a student model P shooter trombone is uh, nine feet. So right. the horn is vastly, vastly different. So, fun fact, the horn is actually as long as, I believe, an F-tuba. Very cool. And that would mean... Oh, okay. Interesting. You have the same fundamentals. Mm-hmm. Relatively. You ever make that connection, F-tuba, F-horn? 
Oh, I... My brain just exploded. But, um... <laughs> but no, yeah, then, yeah, yeah, that's the difference. So that's why... Well, then you can ask the question, well, like, why aren't you in the same range as the F-Tuba? Well, it's a thicker instrument. Mm-hmm. So it comes to back to that the natural register thing where yeah. I'm placed a, a lot higher on that fundamental series than the tuba is. While we have the same series, I'm a lot higher to it. And that's why the partials are closer, bringing it all back around mm-hmm. to that. Yeah, and yeah. I think that has to do, um, as you're saying with the, the diameter of the horn, but um, that is directly reflected um, on the vo- of the volume, right? The cross-section volume, I mean, that's an area, right? Um, I think that's the um, a more scientifically a, a scientific way to think about it because we brought on what's his name, uh, Brian Brian Rosenblatt, um, to talk about this, and he he talked about the airflows like um, the uh, it's like a plane and you have different vectors in the plane, um, and it's really like it was fascinating, um, and so when you look at a cross sectional view of the horn, um, like the diameter. The, the, the circle is a lot smaller, right? Um, and subsequently, the area will be smaller. And so the airflow, um, it's, it's um, going to be, the volume of the instrument is going to be smaller and it's going to get a different timbre and right. um, be pitched higher or the natural range will be higher. Whereas on tuba versus trumpet, I think the volume is proportionate based on, I think it's like, uh, because it's volume versus length, it'd be proportionate based on a cube law um, to each other. I think they're basically the exact same instrument, just one is um, bigger than the other, basically. Mm -hmm. And they're all proportionate length, depth, and um, width-wise, except for a horn isn't. And so that's why it's pitched higher. Right. And uh, Justin, I am sorry about earlier. I wasn't trying to tell you how partials work on French horn. No, that's quite right. And the funny thing is that you're both right. You're both saying the same thing, just in different different ways. ways. And that, you know, and that's the thing. Uh, Well, I understand where Taylor's coming from, but it's honestly, I don't think about it that way. If I'm being quite frankly, I don't think about this, Mm -hmm. the series I'm doing on this, the partials I'm hitting. I'm just there. I'm like, all right. You have a note. Yeah. It's very just, I, I, I feel it out. And this is the hardest thing about horn. They always tell you, well, horns just hear the pitch. Well, I'll go, I don't know about you guys, but I personally have actually a pretty bad ear naturally. Same. I it just, and it took so much time to develop it. But now I'm getting to that point. It's like, okay, I have to hit a top of the staff E and like, okay, I could hear that. I could do that. But it's just a thing that it's so hard to do. And, you know, you got to remember what it's for brass players in general. Remember what it feels like, what it sounds like. If you're going to hit the center of a note, like I've alluded to before. So quite honestly, the, the harmonic series stuff, that's kind of meaningless to me. It's more mm-hmm. important. Like, how do I play the instrument? Right, right. Mm-hmm. And just getting a general feel for that, um, because it's a lot harder to come in on a high G when you've never really played a high G that often, as opposed to like tuning up E flat, right? Right. And that's the, th- uh, you know, that's the thing to composers is that starting high notes cold is one of the hardest thing for horn players. Firebird. Uh, high B. High, <laughs> high, high B natural on the principal horn part of the infernal dance. Boy, <laughs> that kicked my butt when I was in high school, but I did. Uh, but heck yeah. That's the thing, but it can also be a good thing. You know, if you have a good, confident horn player that can nail that, 
It's impressive. You sound no amazing worries. on Havana, by the way. That cadenza, solid. I try to make it juicy. It is juicy. Gotta have that Latin spice, dude. Heck yeah. Ooh. Racist. Uh, all right. <laughs> I want. I want to. I want somebody to come through and like give a count um, of how many times Taylor says racist. <laughs> just something. Just like someone's just following me around, just tallying up. Yeah, it's like the the Misfits podcast swear jar that they've got going on. Uh, on Twitter, there's an account that does that. It's pretty funny, but oh, that's so wonderful. One thing I want to get to is that. So Taylor, I worked with you on this piece, but Adrian, I haven't worked with you on a composition yet. Is there any questions you have for me about horn writing and all that? That is a good question. I'm going to think about that. Um. I guess what are what are some things to avoid? So it really does depend on who you're writing for. It's because you know, like I said, the horn's a versatile instrument. And if you have a person that it's the biggest thing I'll say is get to know what your horn player's strengths are. So you ask me, you know, am I a high or low horn player? You know, quite frankly, I'm a high horn player, but I can play low. But regardless of that, is that one thing to keep in note is that out of all the brass instruments, horn has the lowest endurance. And that's just that because of the mouthpiece and the back pressure and all that stuff. So one thing that's helpful for horn players is that not necessarily giving them breaks, which is nice, but give them some time in uh, the lower register. So if I'm playing high horn a lot, give me some time to loosen up by giving me some low notes. I think. Right. And personally, that helps me out more than just resting. Mm -hmm. Because when I'm resting, then I get stiff and then you'll. You know, hitting a let's say you then have me come in on a low note. Well, then that's a little bit more difficult. So it's about the biggest thing, knowing the abilities of your horn player, but also give them time to loose up because it's incredibly easy to tense up on horn. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool, cool. And um, that's partly why I did those rests between the phrases. I mean, it was probably a little bit much because you don't need that every two bars um, for like for the mellow sections. But I remember when I um, ha when I was brought in. Oh God, what was that piece? It was for orchestra. I brought in a piece, and Josh Holmes was on principal horn, um, and he he was like, "Wow, that's a high part." Like I was having him play a low, a high B flat, um, towards the end of the thing. Um, he was like, "Oh, well, that's that's pretty substantial," but um, he was like, "You know, this was good writing, and this was completely unintentional because I didn't really know this about horn." And this is good writing, and and he explained why. Um, it's because I unintentionally had him like go like scale up um, towards the high range, and then have him take a little bit of a break, and then uh, start on the high range again um, to develop getting into that. And so he was uh, naturally there; he could hear the pitch well, and then he was able to nail it. Um, and so that's kind of a, a thing to be thinking about. Again, completely unintentional on my part. I did not mean to write well. Um, and now that I was, uh, and because he told me that, I um, am able to like be thinking about. I'm now thinking about that when writing the horn. I need to, you know, give you give you the ability to play high. Yeah, and along right. those that same line, I'm you know bringing it to orchestral writing now, and even band if you wanted to, is that. Typically, there's four horn parts, and each horn player mm -hmm. has their role. So I already said the principal player has to be able to play high and soloistically. 
Mm-hmm. But then the rest of the section is a little bit odd. So I'm going to go next to third horn. They have to also be play, be able to play high and soloistically and have a good middle range. Basically, they're also called the associate principle in some orchestras. And that's just how the writing was. Because way back when, the horn section was split into two when there was transpositions. You might have one and two in horn and C. And then three and four, maybe horn and F or some other key. And there mm-hmm. you have two horn sections instead of basically one. So your third, you have to treat them a little bit like a principal as well in their own right, or, you know, a little bit along the same lines, you know, a little bit more like the first part. But the second horn part, you want them to, they have to be flexible and have a good low range. So that horn player, you can kind of use them to write some flexible lines and help fill in some of those chords. You know, it's like, well, how do I get from this note to this note? Well, your second horn player can probably take care of it if it has a jump Mm -hmm. or leap. And then I like the fourth horn player. I always refer to them as the low horn player. That's going to be your base of your section. And quite frankly, that's one of my favorite parts to play. If people ask me, what parts do you like playing? I like playing principal and low horn because I just think it's a bunch of fun playing down there in the basement and giving that support. And horns can play low, very low. Um, I mean, they're pitched in the same way as a F tuba. Interesting. Um, and so they they really can be the uh, meat of your ensemble um, down there. However, you have to be careful about dynamics. Like, what are you? Um, uh, what, where's Craig? Oh my God, we just lost Craig. I mean, it's good I mean, we're it recording really Audacity though, because we've uh, we've already gotten the audio synced up, right? Yeah. Um, I I think it's fine. I think they just Craig might have sent He's me a tired. message. He's gonna take a break. Oh, he's he's been unexpectedly disconnected. That's unfortunate. Was I supposed to be recording this whole time? What? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh my god! <laughs> you just gave Taylor a heart attack. Uh, <laughs> it's like and uh, bear. We're gonna move your episode a little bit later. Uh, <laughs> we're gonna re-record this whole thing. <laughs> yeah, wow, good, bro. I'm tired, dude. That was rough. Okay, don't do that, Justin. <laughs> That's a good wow. joke, though. Okay. <laughs> I completely forgot what I was talking about. Um, but anyway, the uh, we, we only have a couple minutes left. Um, actually, we're running five minutes late. Um, sorry, nice. Bear. Um, but is there anything else you would like to add like about this project, about writing for Horn in, in um, general, about Mahler and how much uh, you love slash hate him, about, I don't know, whatever. There's a reason why I mentioned Mahler. Uh, I don't hate Mahler. I love his stuff. Uh, oh, yeah. First Symphony, imagine. Third Movement, that low horn, Fair Jaca. Yes. Mad Juice, especially on the mm-hmm. second horn part. Oof. But more so a question to just, ed- well, not a question, a statement to educators. Uh, go easy on your horn players. You know, <laughs> but realistically is that, you know, they're trying. And especially for young kids, they they don't have that ear developed for it. And especially with, you know, in rural areas or even here in Idaho, there's not a lot of people teaching it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as a director or of any ensemble, you know, don't be afraid of the horn. You know, learn a little bit about it and take it for what it is. It can be an incredibly gorgeous instrument, but you have to give the students the support they need. You know, mm-hmm. and one of the biggest things mm-hmm. I hate hearing honestly in an ensemble is horns just stop missing. It happens. Professional players do it. It's just 
happens you know no one can be perfect right. and the same can be said for other instruments of any kind but mm-hmm. it's just something i hear mostly at horn players because like i said it's harder to hit those partials because they're closer together typically so you know gimps and grace now if they're doing it repeatedly well then uh may god have mercy on them. their souls yeah because <laughs> uh then it just ain't practicing but be reasonable with the expectations. They're not going to have the same accuracy as your star trumpet player or your star trombone player, what have you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well said. And well it's kind of analogous to, you know, the, the star trumpet player, like in, in like jazz bands, they're playing in the same, uh, based on the harmonic series, they're playing in the same register when they're playing really high as you are naturally most of, most of the time. And so when you're, um, when their natural rain is there, they're going to be missing as much as a lead trumpet player um, in that stratosphere. Um, and so you, you really do have to, you know, go easy on your horns and give them the support because, you know, it is probably the most difficult instrument with the exception of the recorder. I'm kidding. With the of exception of the bassoon. Um, oh, God. No, please no. No. Oh man. He plays a little diddle. That's all I know. Oh, it didn't pick up anything. We didn't hear anything. Nothing? Yeah, we couldn't hear anything. Well that's I think that's because of Discord. That's that's probably for the best, honestly. Yeah, I think I think Audacity picked it up and so we couldn't hear anything. So I'll listen back and hopefully I'll have to cut that out because I can I do play the Titanic one on recorder. That's, that's about <laughs> it though. Um, All right. Anyway, so we, before, before you go, we, Justin, yeah. Anything you want to plug music page, Instagram website. Do you have a website? I don't have a website, but if you want to keep in touch with what I'm doing, uh, Granados dot junior and on Instagram, that's where you want to keep up with me on all my musical adventures my life encounters and all those good things. All right, man. Well, it's a pleasure having you on to learn about yeah. horn and just speak about the piece and everything else. All right, guys. Thank you for having me. Okay. And as always, listeners, take care and take care. <laughs>